0: folks, if you will, let's find 2 Peter uh, chapter 2 and verse 1. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Um, Peter writes, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Uh, let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to come and to preach, Father God. I pray, God, for clarity of, of my mind, Father God, and openness for the minds of your people, Father. I pray, God, that as we gather today, Lord, that we will seek only your truth, Father God, and there will be no substitutes. Father God, that we will compromise. We will trust you, Father God. When you say that, that right is wrong, um, we trust you, Father God. That, that When you say what is right is right and what is wrong is wrong, we trust you with that, Father God. That when you determine for us, Father God, uh, with the power of your word, God, exactly what we should believe, that we will believe those things, Father. We will not deny that. I pray, Father God, for um, today, God, for the proclamation of the gospel, because I believe, Father God, through this topic, that the gospel will be proclaimed, Father, for the world to hear. I pray, Father God, that it begins in this room, that we'll hear it today, God, but that other places, Father God, who are... Who are connected with us, Father God, and to be honest with you, God, in miraculous ways, in ways, God, that, that you have created for us, that they would also, Father God, hear the gospel and and be radically changed. I pray, Father God, for a sharpening of what your people believe. More than anything else, that's what we need, Father God, because we don't realize what it's like to walk a, a, a meandering path, Father God, when the straight one has been laid out for us. When So many of our steps, Father God, are are in the wrong direction, Father. We can't have that. There's just not time, Father. We understand how precious every day in the kingdom is, Father. And So for that reason, today, Father God, I I cry out, God, to you first and foremost, that that your people would hear, God, and that that our way, God, would be made as straight, God, as the gospel. And that we, Father God, would, would honor you, God, with our lives. We'd honor you, Father God, with our voices and with our minds. Father God, with everything about us, Father, today would be a time in which we, God, would dedicate ourselves to you. We love you, Father God. But, Father God, I pray, God, that we are committed people. We're not a people, Father God, who are, who are wishy-washy. And, 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 Father God, who, 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 don't, uh, who don't take your word seriously. I pray, God, that today we take it seriously. Please, Father God, help us because the stakes are so incredibly high, God. In the name of Christ, I humbly pray, Lord. Amen. Okay, Peter uses language that, just to be blunt with you, should terrify the defiant. When he defines heresy this way, he writes at the end of 2 Peter 2.1, I'll read it again. He says, Even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves Swift Destruction. So, um, I'm going to address the title first. I don't usually do that. I think titles are, are dumb. Uh, my OCD demands that something be at the top. And I've got to put it there. I hate titles. I hate coming up with them. I'll spend more time coming up with a title than I will actually, to be honest with you, in, uh, in really understanding the direction God wants me to go. But the title, The Fate of Christ Deniers, I can answer that right now unequivocally. Men and women who deny Christ perish in the sinner's hell. Without exception. There's no way around it. It is the great theme of the Bible when it comes to the punishment of man. Who is eternally punished? Those who would deny Christ. Now, I want to say that and I want to say it in this light so that everybody understands exactly where I'm going Before I even start down the journey. And that is, why therefore would God spend so much time? You'll see, God spends an incredible amount of time not just making sure that we understand the true nature of the God-man, Jesus Christ. A lot of Bible goes into that. But he also spends an incredibly large amount of time making sure that we don't do that. That we don't deny a single iota, a tiny aspect of who Christ is for a very sure reason is that we can periodically in our lives adopt stances and adopt practices and adopt beliefs that are in denial of who Christ truly is and who he should be in impacting our lives and that God would do this to warn us away. Are there some that are simply marked out for condemnation as the NASB says or that are ordained for condemnation as the King James Version says? Absolutely. Absolutely. There are men unfortunate it is by God's will, I can't even say it's unfortunate. It is absolutely by God's will and as perfect and good and as good as He is. But there are men and women on this earth who will deny Christ until they are condemned for it. Because they were marked out, marked out before the foundation of the world, by the will of God for that purpose. They are serving their purpose in creation. Before that read, but, but despite that absolute truth, we will continue to share the gospel as as aggressively as we can. I will not mark them out myself. God has marked them. There's some simply that will not believe. There's no other way to interpret this than that. The evidence that we have, there's simply some that will deny Christ until their dying day. No single human being on planet earth has the ability to embrace Christ Jesus as Lord and shed the Savior by themselves. We are all completely debauched, completely depraved. If God does not intervene, then we will remain lost. There are just these men and women that God has marked out, and He simply will not intervene. He's not going to. But along the way, we'll continue to share. The topic that must be grappled with is the eternal consequences, or excuse me, are the eternal consequences of denying Christ Jesus as God, as the only Lord and Savior, and as the rightful, sovereign judge of the world. To deny any aspect of who Christ is is to deny Christ. So we must embrace it all. We, We we should embrace him as, as God, as Lord and Savior, and as rightful judge. In many ways, this point from the apostle is the reason that motivated the writing of this epistle. It stands in, in, in right there kind of as a culmination of what's already been written as an introduction to what he's going to write next. Now, of course, we know that the holy writings of Scripture are from the mind of God by the pen of man. We understand that. God speaks in the Scriptures. You want to hear the voice of God? Go to the Bible. But the authors of the New Testament Scripture, they understood the faithful obligation that they had to rightly divide the truth. They absolutely understood how important every word was. I firmly believe the Bible does not teach this specifically, but I see no logical way around the fact that Peter knew very well that what he was writing was vital for the church. That Paul knew very well that what he was writing was for the good of the church. It wasn't written haphazardly. It wasn't written without prayer or trembling. For that reason, I ought to preach it that way, right? You ought to hear it that way. These men died for what they wrote. They died for what they stood for. They were broken and humbled men just like us but yet they stood their ground in the face of emperors and paid the ultimate price for outlawed writings that would, embrace, that, would, that would proclaim the will of God. So we've got no choice here. I've got to preach it like it's life and death, and you better hear it like it's life and death. That needs to be the foundation of our relationship within the Word. That I preach it like it's the most important thing I'll ever get to do. Like it's the culmination of my life. And you'll hear it like it's the most important thing you'll ever do. Alright? Kind of men and women, men, should me, and even women will deny the master who purchases our salvation. But first, now I'm going to define them as best I can within the pages of Scripture. If I leave something out, you can, you can help me later. First, Paul teaches in Titus 1.16. He says that Christ deniers profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. I'm going to stick with that and then we'll go to the end and look at the, the second sentence in just a moment. So what do they do? Um, I think this is the most important part of this and I need to make sure I get this right. I'll take my time. They, pro- they profess Christ with false confessions. But their works reveal the truth. So, personally, they will proclaim Christ, but what they do with their lives will tell the truth about them. Look, I understand, I believe that this has three different implications. Three implications. And I think you've seen it in the pulpit before, you've seen it in churches before. Because I'll say this the pulpit sets the tone. For our lives, that's why it's so important. Insist that it's preached as hard as possible, because you won't move very far ahead of the pulpit under which you are taught. All right, that's why is so important. See, we've got this kind of weird, stupid, postmodern thing that says all the stuff does about the, uh, does in the church is kind of important, but preaching just oh, he's just preaching. If preaching's wrong, the church is wrong. If preaching's wrong, everything you do is wrong. Be blunt with you, if preaching's wrong, collectively, our lives are wrong. But if preaching's right, we'll follow the preaching. We'll follow the preaching. So preaching's vital. We're not gonna be like that. We're gonna understand how important it is. So, so I think it's got three impacts. First, we've seen them before. Some will preach the word in an orthodox way. But their life does not reflect the truth they believe. Now that can be everything from the fact that they're a well-trained pastor, a seminary graduate who can climb up here and pontificate in a way he's been taught to pontificate. Once again, not me really because I didn't, didn't receive any of that. But he can do that. They can say what they're supposed to say. They can preach the party line, but their life doesn't reflect any of it. Their priorities don't reflect that. There may be open sin in their lives, or there's just simply a disregard of the greatest implications of the scriptures. I'm going to tell you you can proclaim an adequate gospel and hate God because you do nothing with that adequate gospel. You can proclaim an adequate gospel. And never evangelize. And never and never be missional. And never do what God has commanded us to do as the church. The way I've seen this is promoted as the church for the members. Do you understand? And you've seen it before, haven't you? The church is about who? About us. It's about us. The church is always about the proclamation of the gospel. The church is God's only plan for evangelism. only plan for reaching the nations is the church. A church that enjoys some smattering of the gospel and sits still and does nothing with it is an abomination, is an insult to a Christ that climbed Mount Calvary to die for the sins of his people. We've seen that. We've seen that lived out before. Churches that simply put were dead, were dead in their practice, cared nothing about anybody that didn't look like them or act like them, cared nothing about the proclamation of the gospel. Seen that before. It is false. It denies the Christ who died and rose. Others, too, will preach another gospel that is unsaving, but their works will display a level of kindness and compassion. So they're all about busyness, they're all about doing all these things, and they've got a million ministries. But the one ministry they neglect is the one ministry they can't afford to neglect. Because they give and give and serve and serve and serve. But if they're not giving the gospel, they're condemning people to hell. All they're doing is taking the lost and driving them to hell faster with full bellies. Again, if the pulpit's wrong, the works are wrong. Until the pulpit is right, the works are wrong. Will be harmful and not helpful. The works won't save. And then three finally. Some will display unorthodox preaching. And no sense of compassion for the world around them. These people just get everything wrong. They never preach the gospel. and couldn't care less about anybody else but themselves. All of these. Are detestable and disobedient. And unfit for any good work. Detestable, disobedient, and unfit. Whether it is a love of ourselves and a love of sitting still, a love of being served, that can, that can overcome and overwhelm the church to the point that they are worthless for the proclamation of the gospel despite the fact that they might even hear it on Sundays. Practice that, that so misses the point of the gospel. Or whether it is that church that's so in love with busyness because they've got to find some way just simply to kill the taste of life. Because they understand how how hungry their bellies really are. Or some combination of the two. In the end, it fails. And it fails. And it fails people. And it fails those who are the most hungry for the gospel. Jude explains, uh, annexed jude in Jude 1-4 explains that certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. The workers of this iniquity were marked out long ago for the condemnation of denying Christ. They are ungodly people opposed to God and His works. They are perverters of grace who are overcome by sensuality. Now, here's the issue. The clear recommendation of Scripture is that we strive to be a church that not only preaches the solid and saving gospel and that strives to model this truth individually and corporately for all to see. We try to be the opposite of this. At the same time, understanding that we're going to get things wrong from time to time. Just because you're wrong, it doesn't mean you're marked out for condemnation. We're all going to continue to grow in the gospel. Dare I say, I thought of this today, and I thought of that I may blow it today, but I've worked so hard in Sunday morning preaching to try to reduce the the length of these sermons down to something that I felt like anybody could come in off the street and sit down and sit through. 30, 35 minutes, trying so hard to meet that. Trying so hard to meet that. And thought to myself, you know... Here's the truth. If I could ever come in and really get it right and preach, a, a, gospel, a, preach a, a gospel sermon that was so one point that it was an hour long and there wasn't a single moment wasted, you know what you ought to do? You ought to sit there and eat that up because you're not going to get that everywhere. The problem is I blow it more often than not. I blow it. But here's the deal. I'm working as hard as I can to get to that point right there. Where well, I can preach and, and, and come here. And not preach it shorter and shorter. But be able to get through so much. And grow the church so much. Because the church can't grow without the proclamation of the word. We can't drive enough nails. Or, or give out enough things. Or, or, or have enough mission trips. To grow the church without the proclam- proclamation of the word. That's the only way it grows. It's not about what we do. It's about what we hear. And what we do with what we hear. That's, that's the real growth path of the church. And so along the way, I may be wrong. I've been wrong about some stuff. I've preached in a way that, to be honest with you, sometimes it was self-indulgent and arrogant. I thought people just had to listen to it. And if I can be wrong, you can be wrong. It doesn't mean we're marked out for condemnation. It means we've got to grow. That's why God continues to preach this through his scriptures. So you're going to understand that you're tasked with, with refining your beliefs every day till the day you die. You're not finished in the way you believe. You thought you were because you wanted to be. Because it's easy. That's an easy path. I'm going to tell you, God's got us on the hard path. God's got us on a path that really leads to glory. And that means that from time to time, we're going to realize we were believing in error. And God's going to change our hearts. See, the difference with these who are designated for condemnation is there's no heart change. And there never will be. Never will be. Finally, John, in 2 John 1.7 teaches that Christ and I are tasked with deception. He writes, for many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. The world is a world ruled right now by deception. As believers, we are tasked with testing the spirits of this age to be sure that they are preaching the true gospel. And the reason I have to say that is because I think more often than not, people... I'm not hopefully I'm not speaking to you directly, but to anyone else whom I might have access, I think so often people make choices about where they're going to plop their their bodies down and hear preaching based on whether they like the guy or not, or they like somebody that goes there and not what's actually said. They like the worship service. But they don't like the proclamation of the word necessarily. Testing spirits of this age. Making sure they're preaching the true gospel. Unwise and foolish believers who go places and listen to anything. Anything. And if it pleases their ears, they think it's fantastic. And it's nonsense. It's nonsense. John's concerned that these deceivers were denying the essential fact of the fleshly coming of Jesus Christ in the hypostatic union between God and flesh, the God man, Jesus Christ, both God and both man at the same time. Creeds declare this. Without the legitimate the real death and resurrection of Christ, the God-man, then the gospel does not save. For those poor people in this world who are caught in a lie that says that Christ is not God and did not die for their sins, if they believe that, they are condemned. For those around us, that to be blunt with you, look like us and talk like us and sometimes sound like us, I'm here to tell you, if what they believe denies that Jesus is the Christ, the one true and living God made flesh. They are condemned by what they believe. That's the accusation against them. Make no doubt about it. Whether they are famous and they have mega churches or not. It doesn't matter an iota. All they are is anchors dragging tens of thousands of souls to hell with them. That's all they are. The trap laid by the opposers of Christ. Some will follow the welcoming, miraculous and busy as a substitute for the real gospel that saves men and women from their sins. Whatever they see that's shiny, whatever they see that allures them, whatever they hear that they welcome, they'll go along with that, ne- never realizing that it is true condemnation. That those miracles and those good feelings and those shouts and those lights and, and all that nonsense that's railed about from this pulpit is nothing but grease. Grease. That slides them more quickly to the gates of hell. It will not, does not, cannot save. Feeling good but lacking truth. Meeting human expectations but failing in terms of the demands of the scripture. Is the recipe for condemning souls to hell forever. At the same time beware preaching that is intellectual. But lacks the simplicity of blood, cross, grave and throne. May we always come in here and declare and shout and proclaim and insist that the blood of Jesus was shed for your sins. Righteous blood for the unrighteous. Because that's what saves. And it saves in Africa. And it saves in Asia. And it saves right here in North America. The blood of Christ. Shed for his enemies. At the same time, beware preaching this intellectual. Such preaching freezes men and women to their seats, stands in the way of the gospel being proclaimed to the nations, reduces the words of the cross to the possession of nation or race, and denies salvation to its inheritance. Both ways condemn men and women to a sinner's hell. I'm going to tell you this much. In this church right here, we received the gospel as a legacy, as an inheritance, as sons and daughters of the righteous king. With one command that we would go forth and share our inheritance with the world. We receive the cross, not to keep it. We receive the cross to carry it and share it. That's why we have it. Now look, 1 John 2, 23, the apostle. John asked the question, who's the liar? But he denies that Jesus is the Christ. So anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, is by definition a what a liar. For our friends that believe differently, and they can be friends, neighbors that believe differently, other uh, other scattered sects, for for all of Islam or Buddhism, for the atheistic world, understand this much: if you deny that Jesus is the Christ, you are by the Bible's definition what a liar, a liar. And then his answer is direct when he writes, this is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. Therefore, the scriptures are clear that anyone who denies the deity of Christ Jesus, that he is the prophesied Son of God, the Messiah, come to atone for the sins of his people, is a liar. That person is an Antichrist. One who is opposed to Christ Jesus. He or she is an enemy of the Son of God. Now, understand this much. As was I. As were you when you denied the gospel. The many times that you stared in the precious face of Jesus Christ and denied his truth and refused his love. You were just as much a liar and just as much an enemy of God as they are. As anyone caught in the lies of Islam or anyone caught in the lies of Buddhism... Or secular atheism as any one of the sects that are in the United States in our area right now who deny that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You were no you were no better. You were as bad and so was I. So was I. The presupposition is that Jesus is legitimately the Messiah and that the Messiah was not to be a political leader as the Jews believed or a portal to the divine nature of God as the modalists believe, but God the Son come to bring peace to the world. To discover this truth, look back at a single passage in the Old Testament. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning in verse 12, God's prophecy of the kingdom that would establish uh, this is God's prophecy of the kingdom that would establish the Davidic line. Samuel writes, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not excuse me, but my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. Of course it's the prophecy that was legitimately fulfilled by Solomon. There's doubt about that. David's son who succeeded him. However, believers also understand that every writing of scripture in the Old Testament points toward Christ in some matter. Because he says this in John 5.39. It says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is me they bear witness about. So Christ is very, very clear. The scriptures bear witness about who? About him. He didn't say some of them or a little sliver of them. In some fashion, in some way, all of the Old Testament points toward one figure. If it is the planting of barley in the Old Testament, in some way, in some fashion, that points back toward Christ. Because there is no point for the Old Testament except to point to the coming of the God-man. He is the culmination of Old Testament teaching. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He says this, and challenging the denying world by saying in verse 40, Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have eternal life. So Christ says this to them, saying, look, you've studied and studied and studied Pharisees, but you know nothing. It's talking about me every time, and you refuse to come to me. Why? Because they don't want eternal life. Therefore, prophecy must have as its fulfillment Christ Jesus in the already, but not yet way that Scripture is fulfilled in Jesus. Solomon is a fulfillment of that prophecy. In a way. But a perfect fulfillment of that prophecy is Jesus. In the very same way, Joseph was messianic in the book of Genesis. He suffered and gave of his life and his freedom to deliver his people. But yet Christ is a perfect fulfillment of what Joseph displayed in Genesis. Of what was foreshadowed through through Joseph and his sufferings. Christ is the perfect fulfillment of this. How does this work in terms of his first? We know that according to Matthew's genealogy, in Matthew 1, 1-17, that Jesus is from the line of David. Therefore, he's an offspring of that line. First requirement is that he would be an offspring after you. I will raise up your offspring after you, who should come from your body, establish this kingdom. So we, we see that he's an offspring of, of David. Solomon built the temple What does it say? It says this is that and I will be with he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So we know that Solomon legitimately built a house for the name of God temple. It just didn't last very long. Christ is building the church that will honor God eternally. The everlasting house of God, which is God's people out of darkness for his glory. Solomon's kingdom ended in captivity and subjugation. The kingdom that's inherited from David winds up being dragged away into Babylon. In a, in a diaspora that really has not ended till this day. There would be no kingdom in Israel ruled by Israel from AD 70, in any shape or form, ruled by Israel from AD 70 until 1945, right? 2,000 years, almost of frustration. Yet Christ's kingdom will last forever. Solomon was the son of God in the general way humanity is. Christ is specifically the monogenes, the only begotten son of God. Solomon committed legitimate iniquity and was punished by the loss of his kingdom. Christ Jesus was made legitimately guilty of sins that he did not commit and bore the punishment of those sins to the cross to pay the final price for the world's transgressions. Is Christ punished legitimately? Yes, he's punished legitimately because God made him guilty of things he did not do. Your sins and my sins were heaped upon the shoulders of Jesus. He did not commit them, but he righteously and justly paid the penalty. God made it so. We know this. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Literally, Christ Jesus suffers for things he did not commit, but he does not suffer unjustly, but justly. He took our place. In the midst of John's treatise on love in 1 John 4, 7-21, verse 15, John emphatically states, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. To understand that abiding love of God. The salvation from our sin. That we all must crave. And the joys of contemplating. The divine nature of the eternal Lord. Begins with the confessing of the sonship of Christ. The fact that Jesus is God the son. Because the scripture demands this reading. There is no way around it. He is the son of God. There is no doubt. Not just because his word declares it but because the Old Testament word is only fulfilled if his word declares it. John gives us the final terrible conclusion when he writes in 1 John 4, 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. To deny Christ is to deny God the Father and embrace eternal condemnation. There's no doubt about that. There's no biblical conclusion to be drawn, as Christ says in Matthew ten thirty three. But whoever denies of me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. To proclaim or confess Christ's life and work is to fulfill the words of Jesus in Luke nine twenty three, when he says, "If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me." In the end, folks, God's judging our hearts today. He's judging your heart, and God help me, He is judging my heart. Jeremiah explains that the heart of each person, when he writes in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick who can understand it. Understand this, your heart is deceitful in terms of human ability to understand it, to discern our own intentions and our motivations, but it's not hidden from the high-powered lens of the infinitely knowledgeable God of creation. As Jeremiah writes in in verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So understand this much right now. I may fool myself. You may fool me. You may fool your wife or your husband. You may fool your mother or your father or your best friend. But you know who you can't fool? Our Lord. He knows you infinitely better than you know yourself. He is in the process right now of judging you. And I would say this much He's in the process of judging you. Are we denying Christ with our lives? Can we stand before the judgment of God? My prayer today is this, is that if if my life is denying Christ then I would pray this much that God would make that evident to me today. That God would make that evident to you today that your life is denying Christ in whatever aspect it is. Wherever that is, wherever the The grievance lies. Understand this. The Lord leaves no doubt as to guilt or innocence. Every person is rightly judged. Every person will be eternally condemned when they stand on their own merit and declare their own worth. So today, today, don't stand on your own merit. But stand on the proven merit of Jesus Christ. Whose righteousness can be imputed to you through the gospel and the blood. Let's pray together.